Welcome to Songcraft, Spotlight on Songwriters, a bi-weekly podcast featuring in-depth conversations with and about the creators of lyrics and music that stand the test of time. I'm Scott B. Bomar. And I'm Paul Duncan. Songcraft is part of the American Songwriter Podcast Network, which can be found at americansongwriter.com. To make sure you don't miss an episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our show via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also keep up with us on social media by searching for one word, Songcraft Show, or visit us at songcraftshow.com. Our guest on this episode of Songcraft is genre-bending singer, songwriter, artist, and international sensation LP. She joins us to chat about everything from writing Rihanna's double platinum top 10 single Cheers Drink to That, to her own artist career which has yielded classics such as Lost on You which reached number one in 18 countries, to her much-anticipated upcoming sixth studio album Churches. This episode of Songcraft is brought to you by the 4th Annual St. Augustine Songwriters Festival in St. Augustine, Florida. And and that 4 is significant because this is the 4th time we've tried to do this little spot. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We are not the smoothest radio guys. No, and, we're not. Uh, this isn't even the radio. But so, we try so hard. Know, we do. And, you know, the thing that's great is that, you know, Rocky 1, great movie. Yeah. Rocky 2, great. Rocky 3, great. But when Rocky Four came along yeah. and it was Ivan Drago, I mean, Rocky Four was off the charts. I Memorable. think I think the fourth St. Augustine Songwriters Festival is going to be the Rocky Four of Songwriters Festival. Yeah, and you're going to have a chance to see a lot of writers play. There's like, like a whole live element to this. I don't think Ivan Drago is playing. I don't think he is, but you never know who's going to show up at the St. Augustine Songwriters Festival. The idea is uh, a bunch of great writers from Nashville go down to St. Augustine and they kind of do the Nashville thing. The yeah. songwriter in the round, you know, the, the writer with their acoustic guitar singing his or her famous song, but you're hearing the stripped down, like pure version of that song. So it's a, it's a really cool thing and something we've been talking about for a few weeks. And, uh, you know, we're getting close now. So if you are interested in going to the St. Augustine Songwriters Festival, definitely check out St. Augustine Songwriters Festival.com. And that is uh, S-T rather than S-A-I-N-T. St. Augustine Songwriters Festival.com. You can see the great lineup and find out everything you need to know about about what's happening at the festival this year. Part one. Before we get into this interview today, Paul, we have got something we have to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so Rolling Stone, but before we allow our heads to implode. Wait, I feel like we've done this before. Haven't we done this before with Rolling Stone? Haven't we been down this whole road? We have been through this, and here yeah. we are once again. But before we melt down, before we just, yeah. you know, devolve into complaining, um, I need to give a little background for those who don't know what we're talking about. Rolling Stone just put out a revised version of a list that they call the 500 greatest songs of all time. And this list originally appeared in 2004. They did kind of a revision of it in 2010. But they've just released a new list where they've just kind of started from scratch. They threw out the old list completely. They put together a panel of 250 artists, musicians, producers, music industry professionals, journalists, etc., um, to put together a new list. Yeah. And I will say that some of the people who are involved in putting together that new list um, are people I have a lot of respect for. Um, some of them are past Songcraft guests. Uh, Rod Argent from The Zombies, yeah. uh, Desmond Child, Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top, Will Hogue, all people who have been on our podcast before. 
Um, there's some journalists uh, who participated, some people like uh, David Cantwell, who I, I know personally, uh, Cameron Crowe, who I have a lot of respect for. Uh, but then there's also a whole lot of other people that were involved in this process that that, you know, was the, the 200 and, and, and 50, I guess, that, yeah. that came together for this. Um, I don't know if the guiding principle on these type of things is let's get this right or let's spark debate so that people talk yeah. about this and then people go click on it and and read it. Right. Well, I mean, that seems to be the way news operates nowadays. So uh, it, I'm going to assume that that's what this is for, because <laughs> right. this is not a serious list. Yeah. I'm just going to come out and say that this is not a serious list. No, this is this is uh, it, it's a mess. And, and I, I will say there's things about it that I like and we'll talk about that. But it's more fun to talk about what we don't. Like. You know what I kind of want to do? I, I want to encourage our listeners. Would you would you pull it up online? I mean, you can pause this podcast right now. I, I kind of want you guys to be able to look at it while we're talking about it. So you yeah. can see this yeah. carnage. If you just if you go to Rolling Stone's website, it's it's put together in a way where it's uh, you there's multiple pages. But if you just Google Rolling Stone 500 greatest songs of all time 2021 list, you should be able to find uh, just a, a list of it. And, and while you're pulling that up, I want to talk about a couple of issues that I have with this. And the first we don't need to dwell on because it's just really simple and obvious, but it's called the 500 greatest songs of all time. Hmm. Only three of these songs predate the 1950s. So there's, there's no George Gershwin, Cole Porter, Irving Berlin, Jerome Kern. I mean, it should be called the 500 greatest songs of the pop rock era. Moses. So, (laughs) so that's, that, that's one of my issues with it. Um, But I, I think that, even my bigger issue, and I know, Paul, that you feel the same way, is there is a difference between a record and a song. Yeah. And that's a key distinction here. And, and it's really evident because Killing Me Softly with his song is on the list twice. The Fuji's version is, is number 359, and the Roberta Flack version is number 273. That's ridiculous. So, it's the same song. Yeah, it's the same. So the, the list isn't recordings, it's songs. You also have uh, Mr. Tambourine Man by The Birds and by Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan, yeah. you know, wrote the song. Um, but that's two songs that appear on the list twice in different versions. So I think what they meant to say was that this is the 500 greatest recordings of songs yeah i mean because it doesn't make sense otherwise well and, uh, here's another problem let me ask you a question who are the best writers out there how about country writers country writers sure i just looked through the top fifth top 150 right just scrolled through them real quick there's three country songs in there interesting okay you're talking about it and i thought maybe there's like a whole thing that these are supposed to be songs that are kind of rock songs because you got johnny cash who kind of like straddled it a bit right. you know george jones he stopped loving her today is number 142 Wow. So I know they're considering country songs. Right, right. Yeah, there are country songs on the list. But you're telling me that out of the top 150 songs of all time, only three of them are country songs? Yeah, that's that. That's a that's a misfire for that's sure. That's craziness. Yeah. And then, you know, there are the things that are there, and then there are the things that are not there. Hmm. In the top 50, you barely squeaked one Elton John song in. Right. At number 47. Yeah. That's crazy. Your top Beatles song is at number seven. Yep. And it's Strawberry Fields Forever. You're telling me that's the best Beatles song? No, that's not in the top 10 best Beatles songs, much less the top 10 best songs of all time. You know, I I think that the other issue I have with this is how do you really know how significant something is until time has passed? Right. I remember hearing Ken Burns talk about like when he's doing his documentaries, how do you know where to stop? 
And yeah. I remember him making a comment that basically you can't even evaluate the historical significance of something until um, it's at least 20 years old yeah. because you have to get some sort of context. You have to get perspective to really see. And so when I see a song like old town road on this list, which again, great record, not a great song. There right. is a difference. Right. Um, but it came out in 2019 and that's a, a song that feels very much, um, it, you know, it, it casts a long shadow. If you're talking about songs that have come out within the last five years, Yeah. how will we view that song 15, 20, 30 years from now? Um, you know, I, I think that there's a perspective issue there. Well, I mean, th these things are bouncing around. I mean, th there was a time when everyone agreed that A Day in the Life by the Beatles was probably the greatest song out there, right? Now it's not even the greatest Beatles song. <laughs> so we've seen something happen with time on these lists. So that song is sitting at number 24. A Day in the Life barely squeaked in the top 25. And I'm scrolling through them, and I find this song at number 20, Dancing on My Own by Robin. Yeah. I don't know that song. Yeah. I've never heard that song. It came out in 2010. Maybe I'm just... Maybe I missed out on some sort of segment of the pop revolution there in 2010. But I would say that not only am I surprised to see that on this list at number 20, you know who else I bet is surprised? Robin. Robin? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Robin's PR person is loving it, though. <laughs> absolutely. Pick up the phone. Seriously, pick up the phone. <laughs> well, the other thing that's weird to me is, you know, you talk about records versus songs like I Will Always Love You is in the top 100, which I agree with. That's a fantastic yeah. song written by Dolly Parton. But the version on the list is the Whitney Houston version, which is fine. Dolly's yeah. version and Whitney's version are both fantastic. We shouldn't even have to think about versions. Yeah, it should just be the song. All Along the Watchtower is on there. Bob Dylan's song, but it's the Jimi Hendrix version. Again, Hendrix's version is, is arguably better. But if we're going to go with that, then why not put Jeff Buckley's version of Hallelujah rather than the Leonard Cohen original? which right. is at number 74, because the the Jeff Buckley version, I think, is more responsible for that song becoming as ubiquitous as it is. Um, anyway, I mean, I'm sh there. there's a ton uh, that we could say about this, but I think we should just talk about the top 10. I think we should count these down 10 to 1 okay. and, and talk about this. Okay, Cause, um, yeah, because we could just talk all day. I could just could, sit here and just complain. We can we can grouse all day about yeah. this. But okay, so... Uh, Hey yeah, by Outcast is uh, number ten. It was number one eighty on the previous version of this list. Yeah, um, I will say it's a great record. Mm -hmm. um, not one of the top ten best songs ever written, especially considering that it just like sneaked past "God Only Knows" by the Beach Boys, which right. sits in the number eleventh spot, and that's just almost <laughs> like insult to injury. But I know we're only talking about the top ten. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, there's hey yeah. So for people that are fans of the new millennium. There's your gift. Number nine. <laughs> Fans of the new millennium. <laughs> Number nine. <laughs> Dreams by Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Thank you, Ocean Spray and TikTok. That's was, the only reason that song's on this list. It, and that's a great song. I love that song. Yeah. I could listen to that song for the rest of this day and yeah. consider this a good day. Yeah. I, I love that song. I love that whole album. Well, and it wasn't even on the the previous list in, in 2010. So I think your argument that... That dude you know, on the skateboard. Yeah. That uh, that did it. Yep. Um, all right. So I'm going to say this before I comment on the next song. I am glad to see a hip hop presence in the top 10 on this list, because yeah. whether you're a fan of hip hop or not, hip hop has been a dominant musical force in the last three decades. Yep. Um, and there's no way that you can talk about 
music of the pop rock era without including hip hop as uh, an incredibly important influence. Um, I'm not sure that it's balanced to have three hip hop songs in the top 10, um, but I will say the number eight, Missy Elliott, uh, Get Your Freak On. Um, that was not on the a previous list at all. Yeah. Um, and again, it's a great record. Um, but can you sit down at a piano or with an acoustic guitar and engage mm. people? Like, is there a song there? Right. Um, cause to me, the, the chorus isn't like, there's no melody. It's just a phrase that's repeated one phrase <laughs> repeated right. over and over. I don't know if that's even really a song. I think it's almost only a record and again, a great record, but I mean, I, I'm making a bold claim to say yeah, this isn't I, I a song. I don't know about that criteria. Um, you know, can you play it on a piano? Can you play it on a guitar? I, I mean, I think there are, there, there are probably songs that would slip through that, you know, that we would both probably agree on. I, I don't think that Get Your Freak On deserves to be in the top 10. I I would call it a song, and I probably would call it a great song, but I I, I don't think it belongs in the top 10. No. Uh, top, top maybe 300. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe. Um, okay, so we talked about number seven, which is the Beatles' Strawberry Fields. That's not worthy of any more oxygen because that's just ridiculous. <laughs> um, but number six is Marvin Gaye, What's Going On. That belongs in the top 10. That belongs belongs there. there. It absolutely should be there. Uh, It was actually uh, number four on the previous version. So it got a little demoted, which I don't don't think, you know, that was necessary, but uh, that's a great song. It's, it's a great melody. It's a great record. In addition to being a great song, it's culturally relevant. It was then it is now it says something. It's, it's a, it truly reflects the passion of the artist. I got no quarrel with with that. I think that's a great, a great choice. Smells like teen spirit at number five. Smells like Teen Spirit is top 20. Yeah, it's top 20. I'll say it's top 20. Yeah, I'm the, pretty ambivalent about that one. The problem with any song in the top 10 is that you have to not only be satisfied with its inclusion in the top 10, you have to be satisfied with everything that was excluded from the top 10 to give it that place. Right. And it was in the top 10 in the previous list. It was number nine. So it's creeping up. I don't think it deserves to creep up while what's going on creeps down because I think what's going on has proven itself to be even more relevant you know than smells like teen spirit but you know uh, yeah i'm kind of ambivalent about that i mean are you okay with smells like teen spirit at number five and uh he stopped loving her today not being in the top 10 yeah i mean that's weird but you know i also don't expect rolling stone i I expect rolling stone to throw a bone to country music i don't expect them to treat it with the same artistic respect as they do you know rock or hip-hop like a rolling stone by bob dylan I, i expect that to be in the top five uh, that seems like one of those things that a magazine like this would do. Yeah. I would accept it. Yeah. I don't really love that song. I yeah. don't think it's Dylan's best song. I don't think it's Dylan's best song. I think it's important for what it represents, for what it what it did. It was at number one in the previous list, so yeah. it's been demoted down to, to number four. Um, one that wasn't in the top ten previously that is now at number three is Sam Cooke's A Change Is Gonna Come. And I feel very much like about that song as I do about what's going on. I mean, I think mm-hmm. it deserves to be there. Um, I don't know if it deserves to be number three, but I don't have an issue with that song being in the top 10. I think it's, uh, again, it's a great song, great melody. It's kind of become a modern day standard. It has something to say. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm good with that. Fight the Power by Public Enemy is at number two. Um, Man, a very important song. If this were a list of the most important songs of the last 40, 50 years, then I'm like, well, that makes a lot of sense. Well, and coming back to my contention that hip hop should be represented in the top 10, uh, I, I think this song is is worthy of inclusion. I think it should be number 10. I think this should be the song that represents 
um, that genre. I don't think there's enough diversity of genre represented here. Yeah. Um, so I don't have a problem with that song being in the top 10. What I do like about it is that I don't, I can't imagine a hip hop song that should be ahead of it. Right. I think yeah. it's, you know, it represents its genre well in the top 10. Yeah. Um, and then number one is Respect by Aretha Franklin, which was written by Otis Redding. Uh, you know, that's really, uh, it's hard for me to quibble with that one. If if you told me they all came down and said number one is respect, I'm like, well, okay, great writer, great song, great performance, important song. I can kind of live with that. See, I disagree. I don't think it's a great song. I think it, it's similar to what we're saying about the Beatles. It's not Otis Redding's best song. It's you know, it's a it's, good song. It's not better than Sitting on the Dock of the Bay no, in terms of it, yeah, you're not. right. And Sitting on the Dock of the Bay is on this list. I forgot what number it is, but um, you know. I would say that it is arguably Aretha Franklin's best record. If Again, if we were talking about the best records, the best singles, I, I would be at peace with it. But the best songs, it's an average song. Is there is there a difference between the best songs and the greatest songs? Like, does greatness include social importance or something like that? Like, is it about quality? Yeah, I mean, I guess the question is, okay, does it make you get up and dance? Uh, well, does it, it make it, you cry. Does it became it... A, a a feminist anthem. That's true. You know, I mean, there's there's an importance to that. If you look at the if you look at the top five, respect, fight the power, change is going to come, like a Rolling Stone, smells like Teen Spirit, and and then on into what's going on, Strawberry Fields Forever. I could keep going. These are all songs that made a huge impression and changed things. Right. You know, and if that's the criteria, yeah. Okay, but I. But it again, it, it comes back to record versus song because that was not Otis Redding's intention. Aretha Franklin yeah. transformed that song into That's a feminist true. anthem and her interpretation of that song made it uh, a better thing than, than the song itself. I yeah. mean, that's an example of, you know, it's it, it it grew in importance as a record. Yeah, Otis um, wrote it about a guy coming home from work and right. getting respect. Getting and respect from his lady. Very different Yeah, it's almost the opposite. From, yeah, and uh, Aretha added the whole... R E S P E C T thing. Yeah, and, and for what I mean, it's worth, it's like an arrangement thing, but almost could be interpreted as a as a writing. Yeah. You know, uh, I'd I'd buy that argument. Um, I think it's interesting that the only songs that stayed in the top ten from the previous version of this list and this one are like a Rolling Stone, What's Going On, Respect, and Smells Like Teen Spirit. Hmm. Um, you know, that's interesting to me that within a uh, 10, 11 year span that more than fifty percent of the top ten changed. Right. Um, I think it's crazy that there's not a single Chuck Berry song in the top 10, because to my mind, Chuck Berry is the epitome of rock and roll songwriting. He set the yeah. template for rock and roll songwriting. Uh, that, so that kind of blows my mind. There's no Rolling Stones in the top 10, which kind of blows my mind. Little Richard. Yeah. Little Richard. Um, yeah. I mean, so I don't I mean, know. I, I, I get it. I mean, you and I are curmudgeons. Yes. No question. <laughs> We're old and our minds are older than we are. Like, <laughs> so everything about what we're saying is old and creaky. Right. So I get it. Like, I mean, you and I would probably happily have a list of songs that were written between 1950 and 1975. <laughs> and we'd be like, that's great. Right. So I understand the need to update. Yeah. You got it. You've got to grow with the times. I'm just not sure that these are the ones. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think that's an important distinction. It's not that we're saying that only 60s and 70s songs are good and nothing has been good since. 
Um, you know, I, I, I look at a song like I Can't Make You Love Me that Bonnie Raitt recorded, which is on this list. Mm-hmm. Um, or even like Boys of Summer, uh, Don Henley and Mike Campbell wrote. I think those are two great songs from any era. And th- I mean, even those are like older songs now. But right. even if you're talking about, you know, bringing in hip hop, bringing in uh, grunge, like bringing in things that have been important influences in the last 20, 30 years. Um, yeah, I fully agree with you. We, we absolutely can't say that the canon never changes. Right. Um, but yeah, I think it's, are these, are these the ones? I mean, dude, if, if you want to have stuff that's like newer and I say newer, I mean, since 1975 <laughs> newer, <laughs> but you know, one by you two is number 62. Yeah. That, that should be higher. Yeah. yeah. That's a great song. It, it was an important song. song by an important band. Yeah. On an important record. Yeah. Octane Baby. So I will say this. I want to say a few positive things about the list. Um, I will say one thing that's kind of cool is that there, I I just did a quick look through this, but there's at least 34 songcraft guests who are represented. Actually there's 34 um, songs on here. And some of them have like, you mentioned he stopped loving her today. We spoke to both writers of of that song, you know? Um, And that's a a positive thing about us. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, (laughs) that's the, it's, it's, it always comes back to us. Yeah. Uh, Lamont Dozier is on here, like, I think six times. Um, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, uh, Jim Weatherly, Desmond Child, Lucinda Williams, Bill Mm. Withers is on there four times. Um, You know, Steve Cropper's on there three times. Elvis Costello, Mike Stoller's on three times. Smokey Robinson's on three times. So, you know, some of these folks are people that we have uh, have interviewed and and talked to. And I think, you know, a lot of the, the stuff that's on there is... You know, certainly worthy. Um, I will say some of the additions that popped up since the last list I'm happy about. Yeah. One is that there was no Merle Haggard previously. I'm mm. talking about country songs. To me, Merle Haggard is easily in the top five greatest songwriters of any genre for the 20th century. Yeah. Um, and so Mama Tried popped in at number 376. I'm really glad to see that he is represented there. Uh, Bob Seger's Night Moves is new to the list. Um, How is that new? I know. It wasn't on the list before. And, and here's a couple others that blew my mind that weren't there before that I, I'm really glad they added. This Land is Your Land by Woody Guthrie. Yeah. I mean, that's practically that's a, uh, kind of an alternative national oof. anthem, you know? But um, where is that on the list? Do you know? Uh, it's number 229. Well, that's ridiculous. Yeah. It's not I mean, as good as, as Missy Elliott. <laughs> I mean, it hasn't had as much reach, uh, but, you know. Yeah, staying power. That's, that's what we're missing on that one. Another one that wasn't, you know, and again, I'm, I'm you know, a proponent of the influence of, of hip-hop, but Gil Scott Heron's The Revolution Will Not Be Televised, which is like a pre-hip-hop yeah. spoken word performance, was not on the list before, and it is now, and it absolutely should be. I mean, yeah. that's so formative for that genre. So I'm glad to see that. The other one that blows my mind is that what a wonderful world by Louis Armstrong is, is now at 171. It was not on the list before. Wow. That's another, that's a song that to me strikes the balance between great song and great record. Yeah. Like that is a great song. And the Louis Armstrong record is a definitive record. So that kind of hits, whether you view this as a list about songs or about records, I think it, it hits, you know, both points. I'm getting the impression that we could talk about this for another two and a half hours. I think we could, but I don't think LP would like that. Very I don't much. think. <laughs> no. And, and this is a great conversation that, that we want to get to. So we're, I'm going to quell my outrage, <laughs> you know, just kind of, I feel like I've probably said enough uh-huh. and now we'll move on to this great conversation with LP. You know what LP has in common with one of the people on this list? Uh, Elvis Costello is on the list for his song, Allison. 
and Elvis Costello and LP have the distinction of being our only two Songcraft guests who have joined us from outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you'll hear it when you're listening. There's a bit of wind. There's some wind. There's on... some planes. Yeah. Uh, there is not a person chainsawing trees down That's like what, we had with what Elvis happened Costello. with yeah. Elvis. But uh, yes, LP spoke to us um, from, I'm guessing, perhaps her back porch or it doesn't... The beach. Uh, the beach <laughs> uh, uh, near LAX. I don't yeah. know. It doesn't matter where she was. The point is that she was outside. So you will hear a little wind interference. You'll hear... There's actually some birds chirping, which is nice, quite nice, nice for part of it. It's sort of yeah. you just feel like, hey, it's just LP sitting here talking to you on the back porch, having mm-hmm. a drink, you you know, relaxing the bluebird on her finger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mr. Bluebird on her shoulder. <laughs> um, so yeah. So just want to give you that little heads yeah. up that, uh, that there's a little bit of, uh, audio interference, but still fantastic interview. Yeah. You even sound good. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's rare. Part two. Born Laura Pergolese on Long Island, New York, the singer, songwriter, and artist now known as LP got her start with a pair of impressive independent album releases before landing a deal with Island records. While that album was never completed, Love Will Keep You Up All Night, one of the songs she wrote for the project, was recorded by the Backstreet Boys on their Unbreakable album in 2007. Inspired to write for other artists, LP went on to have cuts such as Shine You Light, a top 10 hit for Rita Ora in the UK, and Cheers Drink to That, a top 10 double platinum single for Rihanna in the US. The wide range of other artists who've recorded her songs includes Heidi Montag, Christina Aguilera, Joe Walsh, Leona Lewis, Cher, and Celine Dion. LP rediscovered the joy of writing songs for herself with Into the Wild, which was used in a Citibank commercial. She signed with Warner Brothers and recorded the Forever For Now album, which featured collaborations with writers such as Claude Kelly, Billy Steinberg, and Isabella Summers from Florence and the Machine. She moved on to Vagrant Records for the Lost on You album, whose title track has garnered over 455 million listens on Spotify, over 750 million views on YouTube, and chart-topping status in nearly 20 countries. Truly an international sensation, LP continued to gain attention for songs such as Girls Go Wild from her Heart to Mouth album, and has already released a handful of songs including The One That You Love, How Low Can You Go, and One Last Time from her forthcoming release, Churches, which will be available this December. LP, welcome to Songcraft. Thanks, man. Um, it's good to be here. <laughs> yeah, it's good to good to speak with you. Um, now, I was at uh, Danny Harrison's Whammies party in January of last year, which is like this great party in a club with a bunch of different uh, performers getting up and singing with a house band. And you got up and sang a Roy Orbison song. I think it was It's Over. It's Over, yeah. Um, but it was like jaw-dropping it was amazing in a night of amazing performances it was a standout amazing performance and I realized like you know so much of your artistry is about the the live interaction it's about you know seeing you on stage seeing you connect with an audience and as a creative person as a person who is a songwriter but also a singer talk a little bit about how 
live audiences inform your artistry when you are kind of apart from that art audience, you know, creating, um, how does your relationship with audiences kind of inform what it is that you do and how you write songs? Um, you know, I, it is interesting, you know, as it goes on, as far as, um, uh, you know, like I, I call it kind of like, um, when I'm on stage, sometimes I, I get this, like, this feeling of um responsibility <laughs> in a way hmm. you know like you kind of like um i'm like oh wow i gotta keep doing you know this um you know like almost like and then i you know i go and i get in with my producer or songwriting partners or whatever and i and i, I call it like reporting from the field <laughs> i'm like <laughs> right. this is like uh you know th I, I need more of this or like i'd like to go th and you know and as crowds get bigger you know, I think a lot of bands have um, sometimes um, not screwed themselves per se, but like it's sometimes, you know, like I've had I've had friends in big bands where I feel like, you know, they they kind of, in my opinion, zigged when they should have zagged basically as far as like the next record because like they they decided they want to like to like pare it all down. And and then you, you kind of like sometimes, you know, um, you know, if you have bigger crowds it's sometimes difficult for them to hmm. you know i think an audience needs like um especially of a certain size needs some stimulation and it, depending on what kind of artist you have been and are and that's not to say you shouldn't do new things but i don't know i think i kind of i do um wield things a little um different sometimes you know and and as i've been getting you know um larger playing larger places into bigger crowds you know um I'm not saying I like try to swing for the fences every freaking song, but I, hmm. you know, I try to, uh, I, I, I've tried to adapt and, you know, and sometimes, I mean, it gets, you know, some of the songs I'm just like, um, I'm like, can I make anything more difficult to sing? You think like, I don't know. It's just like every song, like I look down at the set list while I'm playing and I'm like, oh my God. Okay. Oh shit. Oh Jesus Christ. You know, like, <laughs> right. well this right. one, nope, that's really a bitch too, you know? And, <laughs> but I, you know, I think that I, um, you know, the, the crowd does, f I come into my, um, into my head, you know, like the, you're never supposed to really write, you know, thinking of live or they say, <laughs> I've had people mm. say to me, you know, back in the day, like, you know, you, you shouldn't write a song thinking about performing it live. Um, and I would agree to a point, but then I think when you get to a certain level of writing, um, and how you do it, you can factor that in, you know, there are, mm. uh, there are certainly elements of that, that like would inform like how you, how you, uh, kind of where you take a song. I would certainly think with the amount of, of traveling that you've done and touring and, and playing in other countries, you know, you got so much popularity around the world that even seeing sort of the, the breadth of humanity that encompasses oh, yeah. your fan <laughs> yeah. base, it's got to affect the way you write. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's wild. And, you know, and I can feel really like, um, you know, like, I don't think, like, um, I don't think if I was um, just an artist in this country, um, I would probably have written a song like my last single, One Last Time.
it, it feels very natural to me to um, be like, you know, traveling the world, you know, um, playing to, you know, very different, um, you know, diverse groups of people, you know, and I can, I can see like, I can see why my music appeals, you know, um, to some countries more or whatever, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. I find it fascinating. And, uh, I, uh, but I do think that there is, there is like, it's, it's even down into a more universal thing for me now. And I feel it's just like, and, and, you know, one of the things I've been afforded, um, I don't know why, but, um, I think, and, and it happened because I was writing only for other people for a while and thinking that that was all I was ever going to do again. You know, like I, I truly thought from the years like 2009 to 2000, the end of 2010, um, I was writing songs for other people only. And, you know, I'd already been like, I've already had four record deals at that point. Um, like two majors and two indies. And, you know, I, I, I didn't, think there was another bite at the apple as far as like you know like a, a higher level of being a, like an artist you know I might have released indie stuff or whatever but um but yeah I think um I when that happened um it, it kind of uh made me explore all these different genres to try to like be, be a writer in all these different genres so that I didn't get like left behind with like one genre that I mm. write for like you know rock pop or something like that you know and hmm. um yeah and then it kind of, and, and I think what I noticed, even like when I was, uh, you know, when I was uh, on major labels, like from like 2006, 2009, um, on the Def Jam and Universal, and I I was like, I must have written like almost 140 songs. And uh, and so uh, I was so all over the place. And they didn't know what where to put me. Like they put me in all these different directions. So anyway, speed ahead, you know, not so speedily ahead to 2011 when I get signed at Warner Brothers. And like I'm like writing... I don't know, it just added a lot to my writing and um and now I feel like, you know, when people ask me what genre my music is and I don't really not from some like lofty, douchey place of like, oh, it can't be categorized you know, like I but it, it <laughs> it's not it's like it's kinda like got a like a, a fluidity to it, you know, of hmm. genre and um yeah. And I love that. And and I think and you know, I feel like not every artist gets to do that. Some people get locked into genres and people expect a certain thing from a certain you know and i don't know i try to keep it keep it loose as loose as i can yeah well you mentioned one last time which is one of the tracks from your soon to be released album churches and it's got a great video with jamie king that already has about 15 million views on youtube uh and it's a great song i'd love to hear a bit about the writing of that one in particular um, that one was, um, it, you know, a lot of a lot of songs. Most of my songs um, are like written in a day or two, you know. Um, hmm. But this one was like, you know, uh, also because it's just like there's a lot going on, and I was traveling. I was on tour, um, and my uh, producer and uh, co-writer uh, Mike Del Rio, his band was opening up for me on this European tour, and then. Um, when it ended a week and a half later or a week later, I had to, uh, I had a private show in Cyprus or something like that. And I didn't really, it wasn't going to be, uh, uh, it, money wise, it was stupid to go all the way home and all the way back with my guitar player. So right. we, we had, we, we had to stay in, in Greece. <laughs> it was absolutely a must. So <laughs> we stayed in Greece for a week, um, and, uh, in Athens and, um, and this was actually my first, um, 
um, song I wrote with my new guitar player, Alex Fetter. And, you know, I, I, I would love to, you know, kind of bring all the guys in at one point, you know, just like, just so people have like an investment, some publishing and stuff like that. And I enjoy collaborating so much and just to see, you know, and it's always, always good. And I really liked, um, Alex's songwriting and stuff. But, um, so yeah, he came in on this one with Mike and I, and, um, I don't know that that la da 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 that that part popped out and uh mm. and it just felt like I I, I kind of was like uh, am I allowed to write a song that sounds like that? Wow, weird. <laughs> 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 but like that's the thing I just do like I kind of like I you know and that's uh I let myself do whatever the hell comes out, you know, and mm-hmm. and so we had that part and um uh, we, we, we didn't have a verse or anything yet. And that was like, I think that was like in summer of 2019. And then, and then in, uh, December of 2019, I went to, um, Cabo, uh, San Juan to like, you know, do another burst of songwriting, uh, for this record. And, uh, we were there for like almost two weeks and worked a little bit more on it and, uh, got some, like some verse ideas. And then, uh, but it was taking shape, but it was still a little slow. Like I wasn't sure, and the uh, and uh, you know the um, the chorus was in there, but like it wasn't lifting. You know, there was something like there was something going on, like where it was just like I was like, I don't know. I really love this song, but it's like it, it's boring me. Like you know, unfortunately, even though there's so mm. much other shit in there that's like I, I love, but then I don't know. And yeah. then and then we found a way to like um, you know I I re- did a different melody take on the one last time. Um, you know, kick into the chorus, and that really helped, and then that inspired us to finish it, and, um, and, you know, I had, like, it was interesting, because, I mean, we put it away, uh, you know, you know, whatever, it just, we, we, it was, it was left in the, like, you know, working on stage, um, with, with, you know, other songs as well, and then, then the, um, the pandemic started, and, um, and then, you know, life took on all kinds of new, interesting meanings, um, and, uh, and I feel like, you know, it really became, that's when, like, that's when the first inspiration came, and it felt very, like, I don't know, I wrote, I wrote several different stories for the verse, I even, even to the point where, like, my managers, and I don't usually do this, and they don't, they don't usually do that to me, but, um, they just were, like, because of the power of the chorus, they were, like, could you make it maybe less romantic, you know, (laughs) and it's, like, Normally I'd be like, um, can you go suck a bag of dicks? You know, like, but I, um, <laughs> sorry, can you say that on a podcast? Um, you should yeah. say whatever you want. Yay. <laughs> woohoo. Um, yeah. So I, um, but, but I was like, I get it. You know what I mean? Let me give it a pass. And, you know, so I wrote this whole, you know, I, I believe one of the lines in it was like another year, another beer or something like that, you know, like shit like that. Like, just like, kind of like <laughs> soccer stadium, you know, like fucking, you know, like, Men, 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 people, people, you know, like whatever. And then uh, that didn't feel right. And then, uh, I don't know. And then uh, I just was like, um, this whole story, like just about, you know, how precious, um, you know, like, I mean, these were those early pandemic days where like, you know, like people saying goodbye, saying goodbye to like, like parents via FaceTime, Mm. you know, what? (laughs) Like, wow, (laughs) holy crap. You know, like that was like blowing my mind, you know, so. Um, so yeah, the, the, you know, the song became imbued with all this, you know, more depth and more, um, you know, it's like, yes, it's got romantic leanings and stuff, but it's, it's, it's about life in general. And I wanted a song that reminded me of, uh, 
like you know i always love that song uh those were the days you know once upon oh, yeah. a time there was a tavern like that <laughs> you know it's like yeah, you yeah. know it's just like no matter <laughs> you know you, you could like another hundred years that song will seem like a thousand years old still you know what i mean like <laughs> it's just like it's just one of those songs and like um i wanted this to feel like that like that that kind of um you know that really uh i don't know like old school kind of like feelings of right. like you know of what's important and how and how it's you know like just people sitting there like thinking of their their life with a you know a glass of whiskey or whatever <laughs> <laughs> yeah love it well you know we talked a little bit about how your music has taken you to you know the ends of the earth, but you actually came from a place that kind of had all the countries contained there in one area, in the New York area. Um, and I'd like to talk about, uh, you know, your upbringing, your environment, and how that kind of shaped you as a songwriter, what you were hearing, and, and when what was around you at the time. I mean, I don't know, like, I have to say, like, I was a little bit shut off from it, because I didn't grow up thinking I was going to do this, you know what I mean? I was raised, like, hmm. in an, uh, you know, everybody's an academic, and, you know, um, and it was like, you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer, you know, I was one of those families, you know, I have, a, like, an Italian-American family, and, and, you know, that doesn't speak Italian anymore, you know, <laughs> um, because <laughs> everyone wanted everybody to be, like, you know, um, American, and, and integrated, and educated, and all that, you know, I don't know why that I don't know why continuing to speak Italian as well wouldn't seem like the educated move, but whatever, <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> <laughs> right. st stupidity. But, um, but yeah, I just, uh, you know, I listened to a lot of, I was out of the loop because my, I, I grew up listening to like, um, my mom's favorite stuff, like opera and, um, show tunes and, and, uh, my dad liked like, you know, Elvis and Johnny Cash and stuff like that so I you know it was kind of I was in a bubble you know what I mean I think I didn't start really kind of um you know when I first started really like paying attention to music it was more like you know then it was like Nirvana and you know Green Day and and Jeff Buckley and stuff like that you know um and I you know I think Jeff Buckley you know um for me was a a, a pretty big moment just because I his voice and and the fact that he was doing this like like you know, I mean, Freddie Mercury's like that too, but this was more, you know, of, you know, my time. So I was just like, wow, this guy is like, you know, he's like doing it how I'd like to do it. And I, I don't do it like him, hmm. but like, you know, obviously, but I, but there was like, I don't know, that just kind of, I loved, I loved like a voice like that doing the kind of music hmm. he was doing, you know, and still yeah. like keeping it like this, you know, like this kind of rock and roll choir boy shit, you know, and, hmm. um, I don't know. I thought that was really inspiring. And then the songwriting, you know, like I couldn't even believe like Kurt Cobain is like a mythical creature to me. <laughs> you know, it's like huh. the song songwriting was, it was just like, what uh, the hell is this guy? Like, how is he doing this? Right. You know? And, um, yeah, so I don't know. And, and, and songwriting was really, uh, I mean, the biggest thing for me is really, you know, the songwriting. I mean, yes, you know, and that was the thing, like, because of my voice, you know, I got a lot of attention from my voice always, you know, hmm. and, um, you know, I remember, but I remember being very kind of like, uh, I'm not going to be one of those singers that they, like, they, they start writing songs for. I can't let them do that. You know what I mean? I don't, yeah. it's, I don't accept it. In fact, you know, I remember, um, I remember, uh, hearing like Joan Osborne's, like we're seeing Joan Osborne and like, you know, um, like as far as like her that record that like you know 
blew her you know out of the water like the you know the big one with the what if god was one of us and you know it's the only song on the record that she didn't write and i was like of course it mm -hmm. is and i was like and i was like very aware of like shit like that and i was like i can't allow that to happen you know because i don't yeah. like you know so but you know i didn't know what the hell i was doing i mean i really got an education in writing when i you know when i signed my deal with uh island jeff island def jam in 2006 and i embarked on this like you know they basically put me in a room with every up-and-coming, established, and gigantic songwriter you could think of, you know? And, and it was like, right. wow, you know? Like, I couldn't believe what I was like, you know? And, and that's when, you know, like, it kind of, it became like um, a, a job, like a real job. And I remember, hmm. and, you know, I mean, I was a pretty decent student in school, and so it became like, almost like, that kind of thing like it was like a, it was like I went to songwriting school or something you know and I'm like I right. mean I'm writing songs with the, the guy who wrote True Colors with the guy who wrote like Living on a Prayer like these like huge like <laughs> anthems and stuff you know and uh, what you know like um, it was really 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 um, interesting and, and difficult and scary you know and uh, but it was great because it really it made it like a job for me and I, I, I still do it to this day like you know like I'm always collecting shit like as far as to write about you know and uh, in my phone mm. uh, you know like voice memos and all, all the things and but um but I like set up these writing things for myself or you know my managers or whatever and like even these trips that I do now um and it's just like I, I just make it like it's like you know, I don't. I don't ever feel like, oh, I have to be inspired. I just, I make the studio time and then I do it, and then, and I, yeah. my brain just, you know, it's like, um, you know, uh, Pavlovian kind of reaction. I just start mm. writing, you know, Pavlovian. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's um, you know, it's it's um, it's the process. I don't know. I wanted to just kind of piggyback on, you know, because you did have. Um, a couple of, of independent albums, um, Heart Shaped Scar in 2001 and Suburban Sprawl and Alcohol in 2004. And after that period is when we see you emerge as, as a songwriter for other people with um, Love Will Keep You Up All Night, which the Backstreet Boys recorded. Cause love will keep you up all night It's not something you can't decide One day Keep you up all night. If I don't tell a soul. I'm curious because that was kind of coming off the back of, of your period as being signed to, to Island Def Jam. Was that a song that, that you had was kind of your song and it wound up getting covered or was that when you kind of intentionally started writing for other artists? No, that was like, so that was the weird thing is that like, you know, you, I wrote these like, you know, like I said, 140 songs in that three-year period, and then this song gets picked out of the group of the crop. It's a song I wrote for myself uh, with this guy Billy Mann. I remember I was up, uh, yeah, I was writing when I wrote that song. Um, we were about to start another song when we finished it, and I got a phone call. My father had died. It was like very mm. like I always remember that so that um, that session, obviously. But I yeah I um I kind of that was like a kind of a watershed moment for me because I I felt like holy shit, that can happen, like, that, like, 
I, I don't think I really understood it before then. I was like, oh, so the, they just now take the song and they, they do it. And then I wrote it. And yeah. Mm. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, and that, that actually, that, that cut is what got me a publishing deal in 2009. And, um, and then, so that was just like, you know, like, I mean, for people who don't really know what that is, it's basically a record deal for a writer, you know? Um, so, right. um, yeah. And then I embarked on that. I think I was kind of like in this weird, like, uh, like, oh, phew, you know, like, huh, I, I'm still, I'm still here. I can do it. I can, now I can be a songwriter. Now I don't have to worry about, you know, what I look like, what they think of me and like my image and all that stuff. That's like oh, very stressful. You know what I mean? Mm. Because like, you know, yeah. those three years, um, on majors, like, um, with like them trying to put me in all these different directions, like are you is it a, are you a rock chick? Is this a pop thing? Is this a should it be more garagey? Should you like you know? I was just like, and I didn't know at that point. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I like, and that's what I think. I you know, one of the things even before I was songwriting so much, I think I still, I, I was kind of my even even in my mind, what I was kind of going for was not clear, and and yeah. I, you know, and I and it and it. In some ways, I think to myself, did it have to be? And then, but yeah, I mean, I think the initial thrust sometimes has to have some kind of shape to it, but I'm not sure I agree mm -hmm. that you have to be so, you know, anymore, so like dialed in to like this one thing. In fact, I think um, it's opened up quite a bit, but but yeah, it was um, it was interesting to see like that, you know, where a song's journey, you know what I mean? Like, and then, yeah. and then I just started doing as many sessions as I could when I got this publishing deal. I was still living in New York, um, and then I would go back and forth, and I would go, uh, you know, because California, you know, L.A. at that time, like, I think still, I mean, I don't really, like, you know, I haven't followed the New York songwriting thing, but, like, I, I mean, here it was just like I could do two or three sessions a day if I wanted to. It was so much work mm -hmm. to be had. So I just kept, yeah. you know, and I just like, you know, I, I really tried to get into the rooms, different rooms, you know, that's how like, you know, I kind of like cued myself up for the Rihanna cut because I was trying to, I was trying for that, you know, to get those kind of sessions for a while. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you about the, the Rihanna uh, cut. In particular, we're talking about uh, Cheers, Drink to That, which was a top 10 double platinum single in the U.S. And, it, you know, for a lot of writers, that would be like the the pinnacle and and the idea of continuing to do an artist's career would fade from a lot of people's mind to be like well I'm, I'm doing this now look at this amazing yeah. success that i've had yeah. writing for artists like rihanna but you kind of it, you know you were having some big successes as an artist right then kind of right on the heels of that so i'm curious how that all worked out together in the timeline um yeah it was it's interesting actually because um you know to be honest with you my artist thing kicking in kind of um you know, normally if I was just writing, that Rihanna cut would have, like, been a big moment because then I would have been, like, been invited in all these rooms. And I was, I, and it was, like, to write for this person, that person. You know, but then I was, like, literally, when that song came out, that was supposed to be the first single off that record. And it became the last single. other huge song on the next record that absolutely crushed everything in fact every every single had like a two-month 
um, stint, you know, as far as being pushed mm-hmm. and everything. That one was, one, mine was one month because it was like that other song came out. Um, uh, I forget what it's called now, but it was uh, We Found Love. Yeah. And that was like, that yeah, was uh, arguably yeah. her, one of her biggest songs since like Umbrella or something like that. But anyway, that the timeline of it was was interesting as far as for me um, because that was... Um, you know, I signed to Warner Brothers, I think, in, like, September or October of 2011. And before that, what happened is I was... When I started writing songs for other people, like, that 2009, like, you know, in that beginning, that's when I started playing ukulele. And um, and that was a, a kind of a oddly big moment because, you know, I didn't, like... Um, I didn't start playing, like, ukulele um, with any kind of artist thing in mind. Just, like, you know, I was like... I furthest thing from my mind was like being, oh, I'm gonna be that dyke who plays ukulele and whistles in like three years from now. You know, like I didn't have really that in my mind, <laughs> but uh, I was just using it as a nice tool to like kind of go to uh, go to sessions and like kind of like sneak off into the corner, you know, with the chords and not listen to the track for a minute and just like write lyrics from you know and and it was a conversation piece and it was just like my fun thing that I didn't you know I didn't really bring a case. I just like would like show up to the session with it and like, you know, everyone would be like, what's that? And we'd talk about it or whatever. And it was, it was just fun. <laughs> and, uh, but then it became, I don't know. I started doing all these, like, I started, you know, doing these little whistle, whistle ditties. I call these like bedroom kind of like songs so just for myself, you know? And, um, and, it, and it was like, um, it was interesting cause I was signed red one, you know, was having, obviously I had just come off a big moment with Lady Gaga and uh, and he signed me to a production deal, which was interesting. And I was, um, you know, uh, and and as a writer, like you know, I would tell my some of my um, writing partners, like you know, that he signed me. And they're like, oh, as a as an artist. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And they were like, oh wow, cool. It's like I want to write with you for for that, you know. And um, <laughs> and then and I was also um, I was performing every like Thursday night at this p- club called Bardot it's like a live band karaoke kind of thing and everybody so many people doing it like I would uh, I would be writing with like Nicole Scherzinger one night and we'd go down there and we'd both sing songs you know in front of this band or whatever <laughs> and uh and so it was, it was like a whole scene you know and um but and you know and I already had experience under my belt and touring and all that stuff so I would get on stage and you know people had never heard of me obviously or whatever and and then I'd get up and like crush some crazy cover you know and of like Black Dog or some shit and they'd be like what the <laughs> hell is this you know and and then I started getting people people were coming just to see me there in fact they opened up another club and that's that this club Sayers and there was always like I would pack the place all the time so there was this buzz happening at that time about me playing live and then um and then I was writing and all my writer friends were coming and then like record people started coming and um and I got these new managers at the end of 2010 I was still signed to Red One and they were signing me as a writer you know but they were like you know we still think you kind of have it in you to be an artist again more like you know you do what you want but like you know we're kind of behind you as far as like you know and I don't know if that encouragement did something, but I was like, I was playing the ukulele and it's, these songs started to pop out. I wrote that, uh, the song Into the Wild and this song called Forever For Now and Tokyo Sunrise. And and um, yeah, so it was like, it was like kind of coming together like that. And I, and I remember like, you know, with Into the Wild, I was like, I was like, wow, this is like possibly what I've been searching for my whole career as far as like a, a sound that sounds and feels like me like to the core hmm. you know like I couldn't even picture I could never picture giving that song to anybody else or anybody else singing it for that matter to be honest with you 
you know, one of the one of the greatest things of being a songwriter for me, but it's a very solitary enjoyment. It's like how you like getting better at songwriting is something only you can really measure. And it's and it's mm. kind of thrilling, you know, to be honest with you. I'm like, "Oh, crap. Like I I've gotten so much better at this or that, you know, but only I know it." You know what I mean? So I just like, you know, I have my little moments in there, you know, and and I remember that being you know, one of those moments where I was like, oh, wow, I found, I found something. Holy shit, you know? Mm. And, uh, yeah. and so I was playing these songs, you know, for my managers, obviously, and they were like, kind of like, holy shit. And I remember the first time, you know, so I, like I said, I was building up this kind of crowd, like this, like following at these clubs. And then I remember one time I, I was like, I remember everybody, I could feel this little bit of a, like this nuance in, in with people like talking to me, like, kind of like, oh, yeah, I mean, it's all well and good. You're so amazing at this, like, kind of covering things. But what about your stuff? You know, what's that going to be? You know, are you working on your stuff? And I was like, I am, you know. And then I remember one night I sang, like, um, I sang a Michael Jackson song and I sang a Zeppelin song. And then I I was like, I hope you guys don't mind. I'm going to sing one of my own songs. And they were like, oh, my God, please, yeah. You know, and this is a room of, like, 300 <laughs> people. And, uh, and I sang Into the Wild and everybody freaked the fuck out because <laughs> I don't think mm. they were expecting that. <laughs> you know, they were like, I mean, I thought it was going to be good, but I didn't know it was going to be this, you know, this song, you know, like it was like a, I don't know, I could feel, I could feel the crowd, you know, the, the stuff I feel all the time now, but like, you know, there, there's nothing quite like getting this visceral response from of crowd of people it's wild you know yeah, um and wow. um and it was really i knew i was i knew i was onto something and it was like holy crap this is this is cool and mm. it felt really good it didn't feel forced it didn't feel you know so so and then um a friend of mine um who was like a budding kind of like manager person was like um you know i got this um email from somebody about um, something they need for a commercial, and it—I swear to God—it sounds like that Into the Wild song you're doing. Um, you have, um, you want me to send it in? I was like, yeah, you know. So I didn't even have the fucking demo yet, really. Like I had a really, really rough thing, mm. and I was like, you know, told uh, PJ Bianco, who uh, he and I wrote it together. He produced it, and um, and he got he got it together really quick, and then uh, and then I found out I got this huge Citibank commercial, and this was before I was even on Warner Brothers. So it was all happening at once. Right. Like, like, So the Rihanna song was coming out. I got this Citibank commercial. Um, Warner Brothers was looking at me. Um, and uh, and then, yeah, and then um, they signed me. And um, and then the commercial came out and, and kind of went viral. And um, oddly, they never capitalized on it. Um, um, Rob Cavallo, who, you know, very talented man, but uh, kind of like didn't jump on it and wanted to reproduce it. And never like serviced mm. it to uh, radio or to iTunes for that matter when the commercial yeah. was crushing, you know. And uh, I mean that commercial ran for two years actually. Um, I think I've, I might have made more money on that than the Rihanna song, to be honest. Like wow. it was like a right. wild, long thing, and uh, and I was, uh, you know, but it was like a whole moment. Like all these things happened at once, and like I said, I didn't get to mm. cash in on the. Uh, the songwriter um, kind of stampede that I would have got if I was just writing, you know, for others. But 
it didn't matter because I was like thrown into like writing for myself, you know, um, and yeah. and embarking on like the next wave of my own career, right. which was awesome, you know. Right, um, and, and you eventually released a full length album for Warner Brothers, Forever for Now, which featured songs like the title track Tokyo Sunrise and No Witness that got a lot of attention. But it was the next album, Lost on You, where things really blew up. Um, the song Lost on You hit number one in 18 countries and earned about 800 million YouTube views and nearly half a billion Spotify plays. I'll never get to heaven because I don't know how. Let's raise our glass to do all the things I lost on you. Oh, tell me how they lost on you. Oh, just that you could cut me loose. Oh, after everything I've lost on you. Is that lost on you? What's interesting, though, is that wasn't another Warner Brothers album, but it was released by the independent rock label Vagrant Records. How did you wind up finding bigger success with an indie than with the big label deal? That wave kind of like, you know, as as many as many things happen, you know, Warner Brothers, it's like they put a live album out, um, which got me a really nice amount of heat and it was very, uh, like, critically accepted. And then... Um, and then Rob Cavallo, um, <laughs> I got robbed because he, he, uh, he had all these, he had a triple Green Day record that he had to work on, Josh Groban, all this stuff, and like pushed and pushed, and my, the rec- record didn't come out for like two years, um, it was overproduced, mm. um, it was, uh, not pushed because all the personnel had changed, and then I went in to the new, the new guys, and I played them Lost on You, um, and, uh, and, uh, a week later they dropped me. <laughs> and uh which is you know i mean it, i love telling that story so much and not to like point the finger at warner brothers because you know i mean they record companies it's you know i mean as much as you want to vilify them yes yes but like you know they're just licking their balls like a normal dog like they just do it because they can you know it's like it's not they're like you know they're not like you know like you know trying to ruin lives they just do naturally it comes natural to them but i you know i uh i was um you know I just love that like I was then dropped I had a 1.6 million dollar bill with them which was Jeez. wiped clean which is amazing because I'm I basically living in that house right now like that I would have not had because I was yeah. paying that back and right. I you know and then I I signed um to Vagrant Records which was my dream always like I you know I'm an indie artist that's where like I, I'm you know like people who say like oh you're so big in the rest of the world and you know the the states and not as big in there but I'm like I'm I'm you know for me I'm bigger in the states than I ever thought I ever would be but bigger than I went at, was trying to be you know so huh. I got all yeah. the things you know I wanted you know to be honest with you but I you know it was just like vagrant then got eaten by BMG and then my right. and then my shit started to like pop like lost and you like you know, I've told the story a thousand times, but Lost on You found its way to this Greek label that, like, the guy DM'd me and was just like, hey, can, can I, I'm trying to get in touch with the record label. They won't answer me back, but I really think your music would work here for, I want to license it, you know? And I didn't know what licensing was at that time. I thought he meant he wanted to put it in a film or something. I just gave mm. him my manager's info. And um, and the next thing I know, like, my manager's telling me, like, a month or two later, he goes, yeah, we're, it's charting in... Greece. I said, "What the, what? What's charting? What do you mean? It, it's on the, it's on the charts." I was like, "What do you mean? It's out?" It's like, "Yeah, they put it out on the radio there." 
and I was like, we licensed it. And then he explained what it was, which is basically, you know, the, they, you know, the, another record company, you know, buys or, you know, the license and then they can put it out under their label. And then we right. found out that Italy wanted to do that. Then we found out that France wanted to do that. And BMG led us. When France started, BMG was like, yo, wait, what's happening? here like and then <laughs> right. and then it, you know then it went to all these countries and and you know we worked it out with them and they were cool and like allowed us to like license to all these things and i'm no longer on bmg i have uh I'm, i was free after that record you know and so I'm, mm. I'm now with uh soda uh records which is my manager's record label and for this record right. and uh and now we we um use all the partners and all the areas of the world that worked and then we have new partners the, this company pios and all this stuff and it's really um you know, I mean, honestly, getting dropped was the best thing that ever happened to me. But also the journey was great because I really got to, like, see all the things. And, you know, and again, the whole thing with Lost on You getting, you know, um, you know, not recognized and then blowing up and going hmm. number one in 17 countries. It's like, oops. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Whoops. Oh, I guess I didn't hear that at the time. You know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know why? Because, you know what, you'd... Like, I love a guy that, like, used to drum for Sheryl Crow could be, like, the record label president and suddenly you're an authority on music why because you played drums in a band once you know it's like <laughs> it's like you know there's there's all kinds of shit going on so it's like guys that used to s sell fucking shoes are like you know i know what to hit <laughs> you know it's like just just go sell some fucking shoes why don't you don't do that <laughs> you know? anyway, there's no, no bitterness i mean i got i got out alive i'm good <laughs> right well, Lost on You was a song that you wrote with Mike Del Rio and Nate Campany. And um, those guys are, you know, also the guys that your more recent singles, uh, the one that you love and Hello Can You Go, you know, same same team, obviously a, a winning combination. Talk a bit about how you guys work together and, and you know, what it is about the, the three of you that seems to make the magic. You know, it's it's really cool. We're like a band. You know, I basically call us a band, like my band, you know, because, um, I don't know, there's just like this... And I, you know, I write differently with them than I do with other people. Like, you know, I'll, I'll do things, you know... Um, uh, I'll start things a little different. I'll, I'll, I'll write all the chords, or, you know, in other songs, you know. Um, with us, we like kind of... We just throw a lot out there, you know. Um, we've got like, you know... Um, there's just this like teamwork I, I don't know it's like hard to explain and we just start on something and then we just start like kind of dialing it in together you know and I um I I feel like um Mike is also like just knows how to um I I, I love when I work with a producer that can um make the song like as I'm writing it as we're it's unfolding make it sound like it's already exists in a way I don't know how to explain it um, hmm. but like, it's already like, you know, it's already laid down. Like, like, you know, like I think like, you know, I had this, these three chords, um, and I had the title when we wrote lost on you and I was playing them these three chords. And then literally like Mike, the first thing he did was just pick up the Hofner bass and just was like, boo -doo, boo -boo -doo, boom, <laughs> you know? And it's just like, hmm. what the fuck is that? Right. Holy shit. You know? And it just like <laughs> immediately like kind of like set it off and it was in, you know, and, the, and, um, and you know, Nate is like, um. Nate's like a Berkeley guy, so he's like, and he never, I didn't even know he was until like, and and I'm usually kind of a little bit, you know, like in my, in the beginning, like Berkeley guys, I was like, ugh, I found it very sterile to like <laughs> even have them in my band, you know what I mean? I was like, no, 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 no. But, um, but he's like the opposite. Sorry, all you Berkeley guys, you know. But yeah, you should hide it if you've 
been to Berkeley. No, I'm kidding. But <laughs> it is kind of nice to find out later. You know what I mean? It's like um, it's like you know, like <laughs> right. finding out your uh, girlfriend was a stripper. And I, I digress. One second. <laughs> so anyway, I um, I uh, I uh. You know, I, I, I found Nate is, like, really, like, amazing uh, at, like, I don't know, he'll just be like, you know what, if you, if we put this chord in, it'll sound like a modulation, but it's not. You know, like, like shit like that. Mm. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And you're like, this, this motherfucker, like, what? <laughs> you know, so he's, I, I don't know, and he also, like, he's so encouraging. Like, I know when, like, whenever I spit a melody or a lyric and he, he, like, does this has this smile and i just know i don't know it's it, it, there's a lot of you know it's like uh it's like uh making the love you know it's like uh it's like kind of hard <laughs> to explain but uh it's you know it's definitely i think we just like kind of really listen to each other and you know i mean we had this song uh when i'm over you um that i remember like you know as an example of like something i didn't want to happen again like i don't like that song um because in my opinion it wasn't finished it needed another mm. hook and and i knew it and i kept saying it you know and 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 i kind of i he, i wouldn't want to tell this to mike in front of him again but like you know i he he didn't strong on me he's not really like that but he was like no nah, i think it's great i think it's done you know and i was like uh, it's not <laughs> you know like and uh yeah. <laughs> you know and i just like and now i know like to trust like instincts like that and we really you know again um uh, when I say like the reporting from the field thing, I'm able to bring back things that I think like would like moving forward kind of like suit me better or like, mm, you know, yeah. or what kind of songs we need, how we need to move, how, how they need to move, you know. But it's like, you know, and Mike uh, just keeps getting crazier, better all the time. He's also, you know, the kind of like low key or is the guy who cracked the code on how to record my voice, you know. Like mm. um, it was like, very in danger very often of being overproduced like compressed like with the compression or whatever it is and there's a way to like um he makes my voice sound like naked and raw in a way and then but also um i don't know he just he does it properly i can't i don't know what he does still so i just like yeah i just like he, he just gets better and better at it and so you know i mean this is our like i guess third record together and you know, so I think that like you know we are hitting a stride a bit, and it f and it feels really good. But I I did write a lot of songs with um, many different people on this, not many, but like um, there's a there's a few different like writers because I kind of like to keep it fresh like that too. Yeah, I, I was kind of wondering about that in terms of you know the, the different types of places that you write from. I mean, there, there's a there's writing from comfort when you're working with people that you've worked with a lot, you know, and you feel like you're just free and you can throw out you know ideas whether they feel dumb or like good ideas or whatever when you've got that comfort level and then sometimes there's writing with a bit of chip on your shoulder or from a defensive position and that can bring out something different as well um what what kind of spirit do you like to write from does, it, does that question even make sense uh, i don't know <laughs> yeah I, I was thinking that as you were saying i was like does this even make any fucking sense but I, <laughs> <laughs> let me see hmm. um yeah I, uh, so some people write angry you know some people like to write angry and some people like to write comfortable you know <laughs> how do you like to write um you know i don't know like i'll, I'll i i don't i i don't I know I can't write when I'm like brokenhearted. You know what I mean. I remember like, hmm. oof. You know, like I have to recover slightly. I have to process. Um, but I, you know, I feel like, um, you know, I, I, I kind of from just from an open nature. You know what I mean. I'm really like, uh, I just like, I, it's this, and that's another thing about like, you know, like, getting better at songwriting. It's like, 
how do you how do you walk into a session open to open the valve like to open the you know mm. um you know to be like be this like kind of a vessel for this for the song and and it's interesting it's like a whole you know like i wrote one of the songs on this upcoming record i wrote two songs with this guy that i think the next one will be like there there'll be one on the next record too but um but i remember i was i was really bad with this this guy he was so nice to me i was like rolling in like almost 2 hours late you know and um to the point where he's like are you coming at all and then <laughs> and then i would just and then i roll in and literally write the song in a half hour and i did it twice and he was like, well, I guess whatever it takes, you know, whatever, you know, and I, but I think I was just like, fuck, I'm really being bad. I'm really pushing it with this guy. He's like, a, he's like a huge producer writer. I'm like kind of skating in two hours. Like, wow, what a dick, you know, but I, but then it like, just like made me like, you know, write the song quicker or whatever. I don't know. Like, but, um, but I think I, I, I think I write well, even about, uh, sad things from a happy place, you know, I mean, it's it's it there's all different moods and modes but mostly it's from from like a kind of relaxed happy place you know like i and that's mm -hmm. why i like to go on these like kind of vacations because i mean we work like you know we, i mean you know i pretty much day drink the whole time and and work for like 12 <laughs> to 14 hours a day you know but we get i get right. so much done you know um and it just like it, it it's just like i think it's like you know, most of it's from a comfortable, uh, more more uh, happy, free place. You know, like I feel okay. free. As you get song ideas, do you tend to kind of store them up and say, "Okay, well, I'm going to set up another trip, or I'm going to set aside a, a block of days, and I'm really going to focus on the writing." Do, do you write in a in a structured, scheduled way like that, or do you do those type of trips, but then also? kind of just if an idea comes you might carve out a couple hours that day to just sit down and get it done uh, what, what kind of routine do you typically have um i just make sessions you know what i mean i decide like what i want to do like who, who who i'd like to like kind of write with um you know and then uh I, you know i'll bring in ideas and yeah it's mostly i just schedule them you know like and uh you know i i i I don't cancel sessions much because I have this like if I cancel today it's possible that like you know I would have written the best song because it's always like it always happens where you're just like ah oh, shit you know I didn't even feel like writing anything that day and boom and it's you know massive or whatever so I'm always trying to keep things um, you know um, and not like uh, because I think it's good that kind of structure keeps me um, you know in line otherwise I'll just like you know hang out all day long and do nothing <laughs> <laughs> right need, need the self-discipline <laughs> yeah exactly yeah i force myself so you, you know you mentioned uh earlier artists that you thought maybe zigged when they should have zagged from one project to the to the next um i'm just curious in terms of this particular album the, the one that we're waiting to hear how are you zigging or zagging on this one from your last project? <laughs> um, you know, I I don't know. I'm very excited about this record because I feel like um, um, I know every song like on it just feels like uh, you know, I don't know. It's just like it, it's going to be like the most songs I've I've put on a record ever. Maybe I think it's like 14 with this like kind of like this shorter song that's kind of almost like an intro, but it's a song in its in itself. But um. But yeah, uh, I don't know. I think this is zigging and zagging. I think this is, you know, again, it's like a, it's like I try to always go for like a, a landscape, you know, 
um you know i don't like i don't want the record to be like just like you know chinese water torture kind of thing where you know you're just like same <laughs> song over and over and over you know um so it's like it's going on a it's going on a journey a bit um mm. and there's some like you know it's definitely got there's some like sexy kind of like like kind of uh dancier stuff like i don't know dancey i don't know how to describe that shit you know but it's like it's just a little slinky like you know like like kind of how low can you go or whatever you know that wasn't like kind of a normal song for me really but um right but it felt right a song that's like the most political song I've ever really written. I don't really do that much, you know, and I, I don't even know if it can be construed as political, but it's it's not it's not a love song and uh you know, a lot, most of my songs are love songs in some way or the other. But um but yeah, and uh I don't know, it feels um there's a lot going on on this record, I think, and um, yeah. I feel very uh proud of it and 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 like I feel like I hope I feel like this is a record that if I was a fan of myself, I'd be like Yes. <laughs> awesome, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Amazing. Well, LP, this has been uh, a lot of fun. Thanks for um sharing your thoughts on on writing with us and can't wait to uh hear the the new record if the singles you've put out so far are any indication then we're in for a great one. Uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's n- really nice talking about you uh, talking about talking about you guys. <laughs> talking with you guys. <laughs> you bastards. You can talk um, about us too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As soon as, as soon as you hang up, I'm going to start talking about it. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'd love to stay connected with you, so please take a moment to subscribe to Songcraft via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, we ask you to consider rating us and leaving us a good review. Word of mouth is important, and letting other potential listeners know what you think of the show helps us tremendously. You can also sign up for our email list at songcraftshow.com and find out how to help support us at patreon.com slash songcraftshow. And you can follow us on social media by searching for Songcraft Conversations on Instagram and Songcraft Show on Facebook and Twitter. And finally, be sure to check out our friends at the American Songwriter Podcast Network at americansongwriter.com. Thanks, as always, for listening and for your support.